Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome back. Welcome back to the Flatline. I am Rick Hughes, your host, and I'd like to invite you to stay tuned. Another 30 minutes this morning. Motivation, inspiration, education. And you know we do this without any type of manipulation. That's right. No appeals for money. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to hustle you. We're simply trying to give you accurate information. Information that hopefully will help you verify as well as identify God's plan for your life. And if you can do that, then you can orient and adjust to the plan. That's up to you. But my job is to get it accurate, to be correct. And so we have the flat line. The flat line is a well-maintained defensive perimeter in your soul. It's a main line of resistance, a forward line of troops, F-L-O-T. That's a military analogy. And what we're saying is this, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you can establish a main line of resistance in your soul by learning God's unique problem-solving devices. And when you learn these and you use these, I mean, you got to use what you know, then you can stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside sources of stress. That's why we tell you adversity is inevitable, stress is optional. Because adversity is what circumstances do to you and stress is what you do to yourself. So being on the same page with God, he has a wonderful plan for your life. It's an amazing plan. There's a way to live with no worry. There's a way to live with no fear. There's a way to live with no bitterness. There's a way to live. It's an unbelievable lifestyle. I feel sorry for the disadvantaged people that don't know this because God has given us the most wonderful life. It's called the Christian life. It was pioneered by Lord Jesus Christ when he was here in the flesh before he went to be the father. And he demonstrated that it's possible to walk along in the devil's world and to have exactly these things I just said to you. No fear, no worry, no anger, no hostility, no doubt, no guilt. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he passed on to us the tremendous things like the faith rest drill, one of our problem-solving devices, problem-solving device number three. And the faith rest drill in Matthew chapter four, he confronted Satan by quoting scripture and was able to defeat the enemy as he tempted and tested him. Same thing for you. You claim scripture in the faith rest drill. You, uh, you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, in the rebound technique, problem-solving device number one, where the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So each one of these problem-solving devices handles a problem. Rebound handles the problem of sin. The filling of the Holy Spirit, problem-solving device number two, handles the problem of your genetically formed old sin nature. Uh, faith rest drill handles the problem of unforeseen circumstances and difficulties. And doctrinal orientation, grace orientation, learning to think divine viewpoint, not human viewpoint, and learning to exploit and enjoy the benefits of grace, having a personal sense of destiny, knowing what God's plan for your life is, why you're here, what you're all about. These are all problem-solving devices. Then we get to the greatest problem-solving device of all, just about, and that's called love. Love is a tremendous problem-solving device, but there's two things about love you gotta remember. Love is a virtue. The most virtuous thing you can have is personal 
love for God. Listen to 1 Peter 1.8. Whom, having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him yet, you believe, and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You haven't seen Jesus Christ. You've only read about him. You've heard about him. You've studied the Bible. You know he's real. You know he's either the biggest liar in the world or the biggest lunatic in the world, or he's the son of God. Well, I can tell you he is the son of God can tell you that from experience. I haven't seen him either. Just like you, I've read the Bible. I've put my faith and trust in what's in the Bible. And by that experience, I know that Christ is real. And he lives in me. And I bet he lives in you too if you've accepted him as your Savior. I know he does. And so in John twenty twenty nine, Jesus said to Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen me. And yet they believe. Is that you? You haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. We won't see him until he comes back again. That's what we are awaiting, the exit resurrection when he comes back in Ephesians 4 to take us to be with him. In Matthew 22:37, Jesus said to the lawyer who asked him a leading question, what's the greatest mandate? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first commandment. Personal love for God is the greatest virtue that we have. And the Bible says in 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God. This is the love of God. You want to hear what it is? Listen up. This is the love of God that we keep his mandates and his mandates are not a burden. Not a burden. Now, there was a problem in Revelation 2, 2 when the Lord Jesus Christ had a problem with the church and he said this. He said this to the pastor, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, I know you can't stand evil, I know you test the prophets, and you have perceived, and you have patience, and you're not weary, but there was something missing. And what was missing was they had left their first love. Left your first love. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Personal love is the motivation to do what we do. Now, you know God loves you, don't you? You understand that. And reciprocal love motivation is this. We love him, First John 4 says, because he first loved us. He loved us when you were unlovable. You know, we're all just jerks. You know that. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved me when I was a jerk, and I'm still a jerk. But now he's brought me into his royal family. Now he's given me eternal life. Now he loves me based on the righteousness of Christ, not my own righteousness, because I really don't have any. The Bible says he who knew no sin was made sin for us, so we may be made the righteousness of God through him. So that's why God loves me, because he sees Christ's righteousness in me. And this is the same for you. This church in Revelation 2 had lost their reciprocal love motivation. They left their first love. And so the doctrine of love is one of the greatest doctrines in the Bible. One of the greatest distortions in the Bible on the part of Satan in the angelic conflict is in the area of love. People don't understand this. The love of God has been distorted by Satan in every aspect of life. 
until we become emotional, we, we think it's a sin to even kill a terrorist or a sin to kill someone. And we're supposed to, you know, in these days, everything evil has become good. And everything that used to be good 20 years ago is now evil. And so now we're supposed to love all the evil stuff as if it were really good, and it's not. It's not. There are two kinds of people who claim to love everybody, and you know who they are, drunks and idiots. And neither of these have any discernment. But love is the basic character of God. God's character is love, and it's, his character has components. His character is sovereign, righteousness, justice, eternal life, immutability, veracity, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. I think God even has a sense of humor. <laughs> you believe that? Look in the mirror. He made you. Sure, he's got a sense of humor. You know, there are three categories of love in the human race. There's love for God. There's love for your spouse, your right man or your right woman. And then there's friendship love, appreciation for one another. You should have at least one friend that you love and appreciate, and you should have personal love for God. If you love him, you will obey him. And uh, the sources of this love are the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in the spiritual life in 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. Whoever keeps his word Truly, the love of God is perfected in him. And because of this, we know we are in him. So love is a test. The test is will you obey? Are you motivated to obey since you love God? That's why I tell you love for God is motivational virtue. If you love me, you will obey me. And then love for other people like friends or your husband or your wife or your children, that, that's a different type of love. Love for God is motivational virtue, and love for others is a functional virtue. You see, one motivates you, the other is you carrying it out. If any, every believer who becomes spiritually mature, hopefully, will have the love of God in their soul, and it's an essential part of the spiritual character of any individual, but Love is only as strong as the essence of the character of the person who claims to have it. And uh, it's not simply an overt expression. It's not simply an emotional experience. It's not physical touch. It is appreciation, dedication, and orientation to the authority of God. He is God. Do you love him? Do you obey him? Or do you just like to use him as the genie in the eight ball and kind of call on him when you get in a jam? If you do, you don't love God. You love yourself. You're more concerned about who you are than what he wants. People that have no capacity for love are always people uptight. They don't have a sense of humor. Uh, because basically, they take themselves too serious. Let me tell you something. God was in business before you got here, and God will be in business long after you're gone, so lighten up a little bit. Experience doesn't make a good lover. We know that. Uh, the two men who knew the most about love in the whole Bible never got married, either one of them, Paul and Jeremiah. Neither one of them were married. 
but they both spoke a lot about love. The more experiences one has in the opposite sex, the further they are from knowing what real love is all about. I mean, you know, a lot of kids today want to have sex with a lot of different people. That's not love. That's immorality. That's adultery, fornication. It has no bearing on love. Love is not a physical act. It's, it's, it's a, um, a mental appreciation in your soul. It's respect. It's care. It's compassion. It's concern. It's humility for authority. It has nothing to do with physical stuff. So what makes a good lover? Philippians 1.9. I pray that your love would increase with more knowledge and with wisdom. The more you know about God, the more you understand God. And the more you understand God, the more you appreciate God. And the more you understand God, the more you comprehend God's design and desire for you. See, love is like a river. I live near a river. I like to do a lot of bass fishing. And my river has a flow or a current. It goes a certain direction. Love has a flow or a current. Now, if my river has a lot of rain and we get a flood, well, then the water can get out of the banks and do a lot of damage. It can cover boathouses. It can uh, wash away piers. It can break the mooring loose on people's boats. Well, when love gets out of the banks, you see, love has two banks. Love is contained with knowledge on one side and with wisdom on the other side. It's, it's never to get out of the banks out of control where this means emotions take over and you start operating on feelings running amok. You operate on feelings or emotions running amok, you'll do more damage than good. And so love is not that. Love is capacity for life. Love is you loving God and obeying God. And the Word of God in your soul will help you approve the things that are excellent. It'll help you to be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, Philippians 1.10. So Philippians 1.9 and 1.10 talk about this. You can read it for yourself. So the more of the Word of God you learn, the more you realize the importance of loving God. The importance of being occupied with Jesus Christ, which is our final problem-solving device. And also, the more you learn about him, the greater your capacity to love your spouse and to love your friends. So the Word of God maintains that your love should be on an even balance. It doesn't, we don't just scatter love over objects everywhere. That never is never designed to be that way. I mean, you, you can't love things that you weren't designed to be the object of your love. I know you say, I love my car, uh, I love my boat, uh, I love my whatever. Well, that's fine. God gave you those things. Enjoy them. But what should be your center of love in your life is personal love for God. Do you love him? I'm asking you, do you love him? First John 5, 3, if you love me, you will obey me. And my mandates are not grievous. Jesus Christ, our Lord, said it this way. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn of me. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
I mean, the Father's not going to ask you to do something you can't do. He's not going to ask you to throw away everything you've got and move to the middle of Africa and become a missionary to the natives. That's not what he's going to ask you to do. He's going to ask you to grow up. He's going to ask you to make him the center of your world, to be occupied with Jesus Christ to the point that you love him even though you haven't seen him, that you understand the essence of God, you have knowledge about God, and you have wisdom which is how to use that knowledge. So as you learn the Word of God, you realize the importance of loving God and being occupied with Christ. Do you have a pastor that teaches you this? This is one of the problems. We, we need men in the pulpit that will teach this. We need men in the pulpit that will teach what the love of God is. The Word of God helps you maintain your love on an even balance. That's critical for you. In Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, unto the glory and the praise of God. The principle of that verse right there is built on capacity for love. Capacity for love. Paul prays that their love, in verse 9, might abound with the production of divine good. Divine good. Do you know the difference between divine good and human good? You need to remember this. Human good is anything you do for God in the energy of your flesh. That means you have unconfessed sin in your life. You are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet you went to church. You went to Sunday school. You gave some money, whatever. It's human good. And the same thing can be divine good if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've used rebound and you've confessed any known sin to God, then this means you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if you go to church or go to Sunday school or sing in the choir or put money in the offering, then, well, then that's divine good. Then God can reward you for those things. There's a difference between this, and the difference is your motivation. Some people have lust, lust for attention. They do some of these things. That some people go to church just to get attention. Some people promenade up and down the aisles just so people will notice them. Some people go to church for business opportunities. That's not why you should go. You know, Paul prays their love would abound with the production of divine good. The maximum impact in the church age is divine good. It's not a point system. It is automatically the things that you produce if you love God. And that's a big if. Do you love him? I've asked you that once or twice on this show. I'm asking you again. Do you really love him? Because if you do, you'll obey him. Why do you say you love God and you don't obey him? Why do you tell people you love God and then you keep that part of your life hidden and you think no one knows about it? God said he searches the hearts and the minds of all of us. He knows all of our thoughts. He knows the things we hide, and he knows the things we do openly. You're not kidding anybody. He knows you. Do you love him? Are you willing to obey him? My suggestion to you is to get real. Now, don't go run into your pastor and admit some things you don't need to admit. Just do this. Go to the Father, 
Lay your soul open before the Father. Tell him the sin you've been involved in. Ask him to cleanse you from it. And get up off your knees and start advancing forward. Start taking the Word of God seriously. Find a time every day that you sit down under the ministry of a well-qualified pastor and you study God's Word. Get a notebook, get a Bible, start digging, start learning. It is a treasure. Do you know the, the, in the Bible that says Paul said we have a treasure? And the treasure, the Greek word for treasure is thesaurus, a thesaurus. That's a treasure. It's a word treasure. God gave you a word treasure. And that's why the Bible says the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit and the joint and the marrow, and is a critic of thoughts and intents of the heart. You have a treasure. Do you spend it? Do you invest it? It's God's word. You should. It's yours. Think about it. Divine good has a maximum impact in the church age. Divine good is not a point system. So if you have the Word of God in your soul, flowing in your consciousness, then this is how love functions. Love, agapao or agape, A-G-A-P-E, is a mental attitude love. And it relates to the mentality of your soul with emphasis of the exclusion of mental attitude sins. And philos, or Philadelphia, brotherly love, entire soul love. It's never commanded, it's developed. Occupation with Christ is philos. So love is not necessary for unity. That's not what I'm saying. Love is necessary for stability in the angelic conflict. It is a spiritual weapon. And what pulls the trigger? It's the faith rest drill. Love is your weapon. In 1 Peter 1.22, now that you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine love, love for one another developed deeply from the heart. There's no room for bitterness. There's no room for antagonism. There's no room for hatred, implacability, hostility in a local church. Now that you've purified your soul by obedience to the truth, remember, if you love me, you'll obey me. Okay, does God allow you to have grudges or to be bitter? No, Ephesians 4.30. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. The guy you can't forgive is the guy you got to love. How can you love him? Well, you don't use personal love. That's for God. You use impersonal love. That's for me. Impersonal love. You're loving me or him based on your character, not ours. You want to obey God? You want to have genuine love for one another deeply from the heart? You've been purified. That means you have been cleansed ceremonially. And you now have genuine mutual love one for another. Isn't that amazing? There are several ways you can purify yourself. I guess you could take a shower, jump in the tub. But I'm talking about by rebounding, by confessing your known sin. You handle your sin. And then that's the first way. The other way is by letting the Word of God flow freely through your conscience. You have a conscience, a stream of consciousness. 
And in this stream of consciousness is where the Word of God flows like a river. And it affects your mentality, your vocabulary. It affects so much of you. So as you learn God's Word, biblical inculcation, the first thing that happens is your conscience is made pure. All of the devious things you've done that have created scar tissue in your soul, like plaque in an artery, it begins to wash out, and you begin to be pure. It's a wonderful way. If I told you I could get rid of all the plaque in your arteries today with one simple thing, you'd like that. Well, this is how you get rid of all the plaque spiritually. All the things that flow in your stream of consciousness that scarred you up. You purify your soul with the Word of God. And scar tissue on the soul can pollute your consciousness if you don't get rid of it. If you don't rebound, then you can eventually find yourself in a situation where you don't even have guilt anymore. You have no understanding. You, you, you betrayed your soul. You polluted your thought life. And you become useless in the plan of God. You don't love God. You love yourself. You love what you want to do. That's what you love. Personal love for God means you obey the truth, 1 Peter 1, 22. You comply. You submit. You obey. And that's not a system of salvation. It's a system of positional sanctification where you are growing spiritually, staying filled with the Holy Spirit, honoring God with your personal love for him. It is the most critical thing in your life. If you love me, you will obey me, and my mandates are not grievous. Remember that. From a pure heart, the Bible says, we need to love one another fervently. That's your job. That's your task. That's what I'm challenging you with today. Personal love for God is an amazing problem-solving device because it gives you the motivation to live the Christian life as you truly should. Not some emotional fire you up and it leaves when you leave tomorrow. That's not it. It is appreciation. It is occupation with Christ. It is consideration of God's will in your life. That's personal love for God. And it's unreplaceable. And it is a thing that will motivate you to be the man or the woman that God intended for you to be. Now we're going to talk about impersonal love next, and that's how you love weirdos. So come back. Don't forget about me. Next Sunday, same time, same place. Until then, I'm your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.